the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour brings her unique story to the national and international stage as an author, inspirational speaker, popular blogger, consultant, and coach. She is a TEDx speaker and the author of the critically acclaimed Vincent Price, A Daughter's Biography, as well as her uh, new book, Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. She joins me by phone and uh, from her walk, I think, (laughs) Victoria Price. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on the show. And yes, my dog Allie and I are on our walk. (laughs) where are you calling from? I'm calling from Western North Carolina in the uh, mountains. Oh, okay. Where I'm a nomad. I live on the road 365 days a year. But when you are asked to stay at home, then if you're a nomad, you have to find some place to stay. And I did, and it's a very beautiful spot, and I'm very grateful. And um, I, I thought you might have been out in California, and I was thinking it's awful early in the morning to be out for out for a walk but um no in fact i'm a little bit late on the walk that's uh that's you guys are getting treated to my footsteps and my dog's excitement but it was so beautiful out i couldn't bring myself to go back in quite yet well let me let me uh let me ask this um you're uh, you do uh tedx talks and and you've written about this this new book um how did you come to doing um, the kind of work that you're doing? I didn't mention that you were ordained uh, as an interspiritual interfaith minister and that you do workshops and retreats. How, how is it that, that you ended up uh, doing that and not um, horror movies? Well, you know, I'm going to have to come clean right off the bat. I don't like horror movies. They scare me, and I just can't see one compelling reason why anyone would pay good money to be scared. Uh, That said, um, I love horror fans, and so they all laugh at me when I say this. They're like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. Your dad is Vincent Price, the king of horror, and, and you don't like horror movies. But I just never did. I never liked being scared. I never understood why anyone would want to be scared by something made up, you know, and so, uh, but it is my dad, my dad is the reason I do what I do, and it's, here's a story, you know, I, I came from 
two very successful parents, three if you count my stepmother, and um, I followed in their footsteps in becoming a workaholic. Um, and I sort of thought that was my job, to just work as hard as I could all the time. And, uh, and one day, shortly before, a couple years before my 50th birthday, I found myself looking in the mirror and I worked really hard to rectify some big stuff that had gone wrong in my life and I felt like I was doing everything right and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I heard myself say, you are doing everything right and you're miserable. And if you have to keep living like this for another 40 years, you're not going to make it. And so I knew I had to change my life. And that year was my dad's, would have been my dad's 100th birthday. And so there were these celebrations all over the world called the Vincentennial. And <laughs> basically, I went out and instead of talking about his movies, because pretty much any horror fan knows about my dad's movies than I do, I talked about him because that's what they wanted to know. What was he like? What was he like as a person? And I talked about how he lived his life. And what I found myself wanting to do was sort of stand in his footsteps and show people what it was like to be around my dad. And when I did that, I remembered what it was like to be around my dad. You know, that, that my dad was this incredibly joy-filled, loving, curious, open-hearted, open-minded, compassionate person. And so what happened was I remembered that my legacy wasn't you know, workaholism or fame and celebrity, you know, by proxy, my legacy was actually this legacy of love and joy. And I knew that's what I needed to change my life back around. But when that year ended, you know, there I was still talking about what a wonderful year it had been back to being this workaholic. And of course, I'd worked all during that year too, but the workaholism didn't feel as bad when I was going out and having this joy-filled exchange. So it took another couple of years and more wake-up calls. And finally, I realized, because I kind of heard it loud and clear, that I needed to create a daily practice of joy. And I didn't know what that meant, what that looked like, but I knew that something had to give. So what I did was I began creating this daily practice of joy. I um, basically found a meaning of joy that resonated for me, which was the pure and simple delight in being alive. And then I consciously practiced that by doing the things that had brought me joy when I was a kid. I had to start somewhere, and that was all I knew. So I, you know, smelled the roses, and I looked at sunsets, and I went on long walks like I am today, and I played with my dog like I am today, and basically all the things I just did this morning. And watched I Love Lucy episodes, you know, just found that connection to joy. And here's what happened. I've been talking about my life as a huge problem. I have this problem. I'm a workaholic. I need to stop working. I'm not filled with joy. I need to find joy. But guess what? In those 20 minutes a day that I practiced joy, I was living as if I was the person I knew I was inside. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this stuff works. And so I began expanding the practice of joy and then I began creating other practices in areas where I said, well, this is a problem. And I had to shift out of thinking I had a problem and practicing the solution. And the solutions were always love-based, always heart-centered. The solution was always choosing love. And that's how I got here. You know, these practices, they saved my bacon, and they're saving it now. I mean, when I say I live on the road, like, I'm stopped in a place where I know no one. Literally no one. But these practices, you know, create my friendships. They, they create connection. They create community. 
and they help me live in my heart. And when I'm living in my heart, I don't feel like I'm a stranger anywhere. Did your uh, 2018 memoir, uh, The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self, start the journey that led you to writing uh, Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices in, um, to Transform Your Life? Well, actually, the decision to become a nomad led to that book. And then when I got you know, through that book and I realized you know, like there was still something that I hadn't said in that book that I felt was, could, could help people, that's what led to this book. I wanted it to be a small book, a paperback book. I was hoping it would be the kind of book people would, you know, it's affordable. I wanted people to be able to stick it in their pocket and dog ear it and use it and drop it in the bathtub and spill coffee on it because I wanted it to be, it's a book of easy practices. You don't have to go sit on a mountaintop. You don't have to be a guru. Anyone can do this and it transforms your life. And like right now, I feel like those practices in that book there's something everybody could use and everybody could do. And those are the next-door neighbor dogs where I'm staying. <laughs> um, you know, it was, uh, I was uh, fascinated to hear you say that, uh, that you don't like horror movies and, and how that, I don't know, somehow made you feel uh, um, like you might be disappointing some of your, your dad's fans, uh, Vincent Price. Um, but I, I, I got sort of the same thing from Rod Serling's daughter, Anne. Who, That's what I've heard. She said that uh, Rod Serling didn't allow her to watch The Twilight Zone. And she didn't see any episodes until she was an adult. Yeah, I get that. Well, you know, my parents tried showing me what my dad did by taking me to a play. It was a children's play. They thought, oh, this would be so sweet. She'll learn that her dad's an actor. <laughs> and it was Peter Pan. Uh, and my dad played, of course, Captain Hook. And, you know, I must have been, I don't know, four or something. And the moment I saw my dad up on stage as this, you know, horrible man doing horrible things to these children with a hook, I freaked out. Oh. My mother was English, so, you know, like no public displays of anything of and course. she's sitting next to this little girl who will not shut up like i was like what's wrong with daddy why does he have a hook for his hand why is he being so mean and my mother who was also in the theater you know had to do this mortifying thing of taking me backstage during intermission which you know you never do because it was the only way she was going to quiet me she had to show me that my dad was not the bad man my dad was still my dad well Two things happened out of that. One is that, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he comforted me and it was very sweet. But after that, they never let me see anything scary again. They were going to put themselves through that again. <laughs> and, um, and the other thing that happened is it really became this metaphor, something I really, really understood, which is that, you know, it's an illusion. These things that scare us are an illusion because underneath that scary thing, and that's the story of the whole book, is the thing that we all know is our our core language, the reason we're here, and that's love. So underneath, you know, Scary Captain Hook was the dad I loved. And, and Anne Serling tells a, a very similar story and paints a picture in her book about her dad um, of a guy who was uh, 
almost like this Hugh Beaumont figure at home, you know, in a cardigan sweater on the floor playing with the kids and the puppy and, you know, very different from from his on-screen persona and the things he wrote. And it sounds like like your relationship with your dad was very similar. He wasn't uh, the Vincent Price that we all know. No, no, no. He was a wonderful human being. Kind, and as I said, you know, truly, you know, I wrote this book because I learned about living love from someone who lived love, and that was my dad. That's, um, again, I just just find that uh, to be a really fun look behind the scenes because your dad was so revered by fans of his work, and he was so accomplished. I mean... I I can't even count the number of performances of his that I've seen. No, he he um, he was very prolific and in a lot of areas, not just acting, art and cooking and so many things. Well, yeah, he really was kind of a a, a Renaissance figure. Mm-hmm. And they absolutely called him a Renaissance man. And the funny thing is, you know, he raised my brother and me to be Renaissance men, but what we found out is if you aren't famous, then they don't call you a Renaissance man or a Renaissance woman. They call you a workaholic multitasker. It's a fine line. <laughs> but, the, but there is something to be said about, about setting that example of working hard and believing that you can do whatever you set your mind to. Oh, totally. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I have, I've been very difficult for people to peg. You know, I have a, a friend I'm working for her business right now, and she's known me 30 years, um, but I've been sort of working on some projects for her. And she's known me a long time, and I thought, you know, I knew a fair amount about me. You know, she'll say something, and I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'll do that. And she'll, and she'll say something else, and I'll say, oh, yeah, no, I'd love to do that. Then at one point she goes, is there anything you don't do? <laughs> She said, how do, you, how do you know how to do all these things? And she's somebody who is equally um, a polymath, somebody who does many, many different things. They just happen to be different things than I do. And so, you know, even people who are that way, you know, we're so trained that we should be good at one thing that we've all kind of been programmed to believe that. Well, uh, I have a, a break coming up here in just a moment, Victoria, and I hope you'll stick around with me so we can talk some more. I want to I want to talk about the 12 heart-centered practices to transforming your life as laid out in your uh, newest book, Living Love. Um, can, hopefully you'll you'll stick around. I would love that. Absolutely, I'll stick around. That's great, Victoria. This is uh, this is a lot of fun, and uh, I'm talking with Victoria Price. Yes, she is in fact the daughter of Vincent Price, but uh, she is um, a workaholic in her own field, <laughs> and we're going to get into that and much Very much more. Funny. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into uh, that and much much more with uh, Victoria. Uh, after we let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and then we'll return. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Uh, Victoria Price, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. This is fun. Um, Victoria, we we just sort of hinted at the uh, the twelve practices. Um, are these things that you mentioned? One is is going for a walk. Um, mm-hmm. Is is that one of the twelve? Heart-centered practices. Going for a walk is part of my daily practice of joy. Um, It's really, it just gets me out of my head, right back into my heart. It shifts everything for me. And uh, actually, I'm uh, part of a group, um, a national group now called Ever Walk. And um, they have a wonderful initiative to help people get out for a walk. It's called the Ever Walk Mile, where, you know, we all have gotten so much more sedentary and working from home, it's even harder. But if you are allowed to walk, you commit yourself to getting out and doing that Ever Walk Mile once a day. And they even have a little sign you can print out on your website and you can do your Ever Walk Mile for someone else, you know, someone who can't walk, someone who you're missing. <clears throat> you know, it's just a way of kind of get <clears throat> getting in the habit and walking more and that really for me that habit uh of walking is what shifts me often out of my head and into joy what are some of the other uh practices it's it's one thing to say you know to to live love but but how does that translate into activities and well, not what i'm just... talking about when i'm talking about love is not the Hallmark card version of love, not the love of, you know, I love another person. I think we are all born understanding, and then it's sort of taught out of us that our language, our programming, what we're here to do and, and how we're here to connect with the world is through love, the power of love. And, you know, as we get older, we're sort of, trained to walk away from that and to believe that we're trained to be workers or, um, you know, certain kinds of family members. You know, of course, we all want to be members of a family because of love, but even becoming a family member becomes almost a job. And so reconnecting with love is, we're really taught to do two things, feel like our heads can solve every problem and then feel like, um, you know, there are many things to be afraid of, you know, and then so we have to look to our heads for those answers. And what I found is looking to your head for an answer just lands you back up in your head and lands you back up focused on the problem. And so, you know, what I've really found, and and it's really, um, I wrote about this in the book, and who knew it would be so timely now, but uh, a friend of mine, was uh, worked as a trauma counselor after 9-11 in New York for FEMA. And she found that the people who were the most anxious, who had the most difficulty, who would come to her just completely unable to shift out of their fear and anxiety, she found very quickly that they had one thing in common. They were all watching the news. And, you know, we live in a culture where the news, first of all, news isn't news because news then would sort of have a, a, a wide smattering of things. News now essentially means bad news, which is why they have the good news section at the end of the news, just to throw us a, a little bone. And so we all, 
you know, are used so used to all this bad news, and yet we're trained to believe that watching that news will find the answer. You know, it'll tell us what we need to be worried about or what we need to do or what we need to be afraid of. And so we become completely fear-obsessed. And she would tell her people, turn off the news, just try it for a day. I can't. You know, it's the source of my news, and I need to know that everything's going to be okay. She said, just try it. Try it for a day. And if that one day goes okay, then try it for two days. And if that goes okay, try it for three. And people would come back and say, oh, my God, that shifted everything. Everything feels different. We have no idea how completely inundated with fear-based thinking we are. So these practices are actually really simple things that shift us out of fear back into something we knew when we were children, which is that love is the answer and not some pie-in-the-sky love. Like, love really does heal. When my uh, when my oldest daughter was uh, very young, the uh, first Gulf War was going on and it was being covered 24 hours a day on CNN, and she used to call CNN the War Channel. Right. <laughs> She'd say, Dad, right. are, you, are, are you watching the War Channel again? I used to have a, a, a phrase, but it was really based on this notion that we can think our way through things. Um, and I used to say that it was, uh, um, I called it mind over what's the matter. <laughs> and right. yeah, but it but it's still it was sort of mind based. Is this about changing your mindset, or is there a way to heart set? Well, I think when we be when we shift out of thinking that our mind can solve the problem into actually being led from our hearts, our minds follow suit. In other words. You know, we're all connected. You can't just, I mean, that's why that song, you know, the hip bone's connected to the thigh bone. We can't just, you know, this isn't a sci-fi movie. We can't just pull our brains out and, you know, slap them over in a corner. It's it's where where the programming is coming from. And if we're being programmed by fear-based minds, it's not going to go well. It's just not. And so being led from our hearts then shifts us out of thinking that life is a series of problems that we need to solve. And that's what begins to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it is, a, it is a complete and total reprogramming. But here's the thing. It's a reprogramming back to our original operating system. We were programmed in love, and we've forgotten that. So it's it's in in modern terms a reboot. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. Um, yeah, because we keep thinking all these updates. You know, as we all know, whenever we update our phone, we you know we were like, oh, good, it's the new update. That's going to make a big difference. And often, it doesn't. In fact, it'll break some things, and then they have to send out fifty-seven repairs for that thing that's gotten you know that used to work perfectly fine that's now all wonky. Well, that's exactly what happens with us. And now, are the are the exercises a way to achieve living love, or are the practices um, something you do after you've made the decision and they maintain it? No, they're the way to achieve it. We have to, you know, if you. Um, I once had a guitar teacher. He told me that to change uh, a physical habit, you have to do something for 30 days. I've also heard, you know, uh, neurological studies that say it's 45 days. 
Um, but basically, to change a habit, you have to actually get in and change the habit. You can't talk yourself out of changing a habit, or everybody who's ever been on a diet would be thin. You know, you, you can't <laughs> say, I'm going to, you know, stop eating donuts. You have to create a new habit. That, that's why this Ever Walk Mile is such a cool thing, because you're creating a new habit where instead of sitting, you're getting out and you're moving that mile, you know? And, um, and so basically the bottom line is, in order to break a habit, you have to create a new set of habits, and that's what this does. And and they it does it by doing things that we all know how to do, that are actually you know how we're programmed. And it's just getting back because once you start doing these, you start saying to yourself, "Oh my God, this feels so good. Oh yeah, this is me. I love this me. This is who I. This is how I used to feel when I was a kid." And you want to do it. You know, it's not like, uh, for example, it, it, people say sometimes it feels to go on a diet. You know, there's that old thing, it never, um, that, you know, no matter how good it tastes, it doesn't feel as good as, you know, being thin. We'll say that to somebody who's looking at a donut. You know, they don't really care about being thin in that moment. They want the donut. And so, you know, but this does feel as good because it actually feels like who we really are. We are joy-filled. We are grateful. We are heart-centered. We're all of these things, and we've forgotten it. So actually, it's just basically doing, sort of getting us back in touch with who we've always been and who we're always going to be. We are love-based. We just live in a fear-based world, and we think that that's who we really are. It ain't. Can can you um, cite some examples of heart-centered practices? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's many that people are already doing, but it's just making that commitment to do it. You know, gratitude is a fantastic heart-centered practice. Um, just literally showing up every day and uh, basically remembering that right here, right now, when everything seems scary and terrible and horrible, there is so much to be grateful for. That's one that everybody does, but making it a daily practice is a, is a big changer. One that I think is super helpful for right now is I call embracing your I don't know. Um, and I think this one is particularly, particularly powerful for right now. So, so here's the thing. You know, we've been told that, you know, what we don't know should scare us because we don't know. And what we don't realize is that, or what we don't remember, is that what we don't know also will set us free. In other words, everything in history that we look back and we say, oh, you know, that was the turning point. That was the moment. That's when they figured this out. That's when they discovered that. That's when it all changed. Well, it's not like anyone knew that was coming. It's not like anybody knew that was happening. Um, and, and simply, it, it happened because it had to happen because people were hard at work doing things. It's the kind of thing that's not getting reported on the news right now. You know, all the incredible things that people are out there. You know, we hear the little stories, but not the every single day acts of just the people, somebody who walks across the street, you know, out of kindness to get out of the way for someone. It's like those acts of kindness, those daily things, everybody is contributing. But we are told to be scared of what we don't know. So here's the thing. If we can learn to embrace our I don't know, what that does is it shifts us into our hearts. It actually 
helps us become less afraid of what we don't know and learn to listen for what we what 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 we don't know might have to teach us and and for example if you think about the process of science which is something everybody's focused on right now how are the scientists going to find a a solution to this how is this going to get solved well how are they they're going to do it by doing exactly that they're going to have to get very quiet and listen for what they don't know and what they don't know will lead them to what they need to know. Well, it's the same for all of us. We have to stop thinking that what we do know is the solution because we're all finding out it isn't. You know, we're all finding out that the IRS website that supposedly has our answers is broken, that the Small Business Loan (laughs) Association has run out of um, money, that uh, the insurance that we pay for doesn't cover most of what we need, that the United States that we felt was, you know, well supplied to handle anything doesn't have enough stuff. Um, and and we honestly do not know what the solution is going to be. But what I do believe is that when we get out of our heads and into our hearts, love does know. And that may sound pie in the sky to you, but it's really not. Love does have the answer. It's just that we've been so busy trying to assuage our anxiety by finding more and more head-based solutions that we're not listening. And I'll give you a very concrete example. We live in a world that completely ignores the fact that the things that most of us not only take for granted but want harm the environment, harm other people, don't create living wages. You know, we read, we all love our two-day Amazon delivery. I'm one of those people. I live on the road, so that two days makes a big difference to me. It's like that may get to me when, you know, something else won't. But I prefer to buy local. I love buying local. But it's challenging if you live on the road, and so sometimes I don't. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, we read all the time that, um, you know, the way the, the Amazon workers are treated are horrible. We read all the time about the dangers of a two-day delivery for a carbon footprint. We read all of those things, and then we just think, well, someone else will solve that problem because we're in our heads, and we're trying to take care of, you know, ourselves instead of listening to our hearts. If we listen to our hearts, not only will we realize that's untenable and that's how we've gotten here, but that if we keep listening to our hearts, we're actually going to find the answer to how to have a different kind of economy because that's what this whole time is telling us we need, a different way of being in the world. And we're going to have to listen to our hearts to figure out what the heck that is because our heads are what have gotten us here. There was a great line in the uh, in, in an episode of um, The West Wing a few years ago where the chief of staff is given some bad news about a, uh, a mad cow disease outbreak. And he doesn't feel like he knows very much about it. And he blows right past the I don't know and says, I need somebody to teach me about this. Hmm. And, I, and I thought that was such a such a great spin. I mean, it was just a parenthetical line in a TV show. But the idea that your reaction is, I need to learn about this, rather right. rather than being frightened by the fact that there's something happening and, and you don't know. Yes, exactly. Well, here's the thing, you know, and I, I I know that a lot of politicians are put in the place of feeling like they're supposed to know, and I have such compassion. When we're little kids, we're encouraged not to know. You know, that's 
that's the source of our curiosity. That's how we're going to become, you know, the people we're supposed to be. We're supposed to listen, you know, to who we are inside. We're encouraged not to know because that's going to teach us what we what we need to know and how to be curious. Then you pass a certain age, I don't know, 16, 18, 20, 21, and, and when you say, I don't know, it, it becomes not okay anymore. And even people may mock you for what you don't know. Well, that's the age you where you're bit older. That's the age where you're supposed to know everything. Exactly. <laughs> and you get a little bit older, right. And you get a little bit older than that. And, you know, you could get fired for saying, I don't know. When, in fact, I think any employer would rather have someone who says, you know, wow, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. And I don't know how to solve that, but I'm going to go and figure that out. Isn't that what you want? You know, it, it, it is what you, if you genuinely don't know how to do something, then stop saying you do and surround yourself by people who are, as that character knew, going to help you learn. And, you know, in my mind, the, the biggest reason we don't do that is because we've come to believe that living in our heads is going to be the source of our answers, and it's not. Um, so this is um, really just kind of, um, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, Victoria, but, but you're talking about an, an all-encompassing attitude adjustment. Yes, exactly. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a shift to a new set of habits. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that was very, very encouraging um, to smokers um, when, when smoking was, you know, people were having such trouble quitting smoking is that they knew, they absolutely knew, because all the studies showed that if you quit smoking, your lungs would heal. And, uh, and so there was an incentive, like, I can turn this around. Well, that's exactly what this does. I mean, everybody that I've shared this with, it's kind of remarkable. They're like, I don't understand why it works, but it works. Well, it works because we're, yes, we view ourselves as being a society that has problems that need to get solved. And that is actually not a tenable way of living, but we don't know that. So we just keep going on thinking that we're a society who has a ton of problems that we need to figure out how to get solved. And really, so many other things, if we lived going back to the economy, if we all lived in our hearts, it would be unacceptable to us to have our actions cause another pain. And we would then create an economy where that wasn't possible. But instead, we have learned to take all these shortcuts and basically feed and fuel our fears and live differently. And right now, you know, we're all having to look at that. I certainly am. I'm looking at all the ways in which I've cut corners and now trying because I know that changing your habits really works. Now I'm trying to figure out what new habits I need to create so I don't keep cutting those corners. Well, I mentioned uh, earlier um, that that you have uh, three books: your critically acclaimed Vincent Price, a daughter's biography, and your 2018 memoir, The Way of Being Lost: A Road Trip to My Truest Self, and now Living Love: Twelve Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. Um, what's up next for you, Victoria? Are, do you have another? Uh, Another book in the works? Are you just going to continue to, to travel when we're uh, finally released from uh, the uh, stay-at-home orders? Well, I think I can only say to you what everybody who is, you know, 
paying attention right now can say, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, none of us know. And so that's absolutely, you know, one of the ways I, I'm pretty sure you, um, you're based out of Michigan, so I'm guessing uh, some of the guests that are on your promos were from Motor City uh, Frightmare, I'm guessing, um, or some other conventions that have sure. come up there because because I heard all their voices and, you know, I know a lot of them. They're great people. Well, you know, here there's a whole um, sector of the population that um, loves going to conventions and loves going into tiny crowded rooms with people who love the same things that they love to, you know, and spend a lot of money that maybe they shouldn't be spending in all honesty, that none of us should be spending to, you know, meet somebody they've admired over the years. Well, you know, we don't know whether those kinds of things are going to come back. Will will we be allowed to gather together um, in those kind of crowded circumstances anytime soon? We don't know. Will people you know, be of the mindset that that's what they want to do with their money during uncertain times. We don't know. And and that's something that I do all the time. It's really, I consider it, frankly, sort of part of my, I know this is going to sound funny, but my ministry, because I get to share my love of my father and other people's love of my father, and we get to have this, you know, incredible connection because of it. But I don't know whether that's going to keep happening. And, and so... Yeah, I get to look at all of the things that I've sort of come to expect. I also lead cultural tours all over the world, uh, two, three, four a year. I do a ton of public speaking in, in front of groups. Are all of those things going to happen or not happen? We don't know, and we have to accept that we don't know and not try to wish it to get back to normal very quickly because that's not going to help anything. And so, you know, one of the things I've been really working on for myself is uh, – one is to commit to showing up to some projects that I have been lazy about, things that I really, really have wanted to do for a long time um, and haven't done. And the other is a book that I've been working on for quite a while, which is about the that the only legacy any of us can actually leave behind is the legacy of love. But, you know, fortunately, I have another way to make my living, which is I work with creatives and nonprofits and uh, artists and uh, all kinds of people. And I do something called holistic branding with them where, uh, you know, we all have to use social media because it's uh, it's a main means of communication. But for many, it feels really sort of disconnecting and often maybe even demeaning. So I work with people to really get go dig deep and figure out what their authentic message is. And then I build websites and do social media and uh, create this whole sort of outreach plan so that they can do what they love and make people aware of it in a way that feels joy-filled and, and, and good to them. So I'm fortunate in that I have that that I do every single day. And I would be less than honest to say that the workaholism still isn't an issue for me. I, uh, I have not taken a day off in <laughs> five weeks now. And uh, because I've been very fortunate to be so busy and with my other income, you know, depleted because of the speaking, I've been grateful to have this, but I also am having to look at, like, Victoria, oh my gosh, I'm falling into that. Victoria, I have to put another comma here. Can you stick around? From the Tom Oh, yeah. Hey! 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community Schools, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital... Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. 
and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone. I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody, as we uh, continue my conversation with Victoria Price about her new book called um, Living Love, 12 Heart-Centered Practices to Transform Your Life. Victoria, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Well, thanks for having me. We were it's just... not like I'm, heady, I'm missing a party. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's getting a lot easier to find people at home these days. I'm sure it is. Um, but... Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about about what's next and how the the coronavirus has impacted uh, the things that you do because you travel a great deal. And I, I was going to let you in on a little uh, kind of a funny irony. Um, at the beginning of the year, I had decided to uh, close my studio and move all the equipment home and do my show from home. And by the time I oh, went wow. through the transition, now everybody's doing it. <laughs> right, right. And and so <laughs> I, it, I, I guess my point was is that I am able to very comfortably work from home. It sounds like you're going to have to uh, shift and adjust depending on how long this goes on, you know, in order to do the parts of what you do for a living uh, to be able to do enough of it from home right exactly and so you know that's exactly where all these years you know living on the road you don't know you quickly discover that if you think you do know you don't you know if you start out at the beginning of one day someplace and you sort of have a vague idea where you're going I very learned quickly learned that you usually don't get there um, and so I had to really uh, allow myself to not know where I was going next so that I would end up in the place I was supposed to be instead of the place that my head told me I was supposed to be, which often was not a good place. And that practice really has saved my bacon right now because instead of thinking, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I think, I don't know. How interesting. I've been wanting to shift a few things up. I've been looking at how I can, you know, be of more service, do more good in the world, well, good. Now I get to stop and listen and try to hear what it is I'm supposed to hear. I have no idea what that is. Well, one of the things that I always want to do, um, Victoria, is um, let people uh, listening know where they can find out about more about you, about your work, and about the books that you have out. Um, do you have a website? I do. I have a website. It's victoriaprice.com. And um, and then the books are available all the usual places. Um, but uh, the online book source that I'm really high on right now is a new thing called bookshop.org. 
And it's a way of supporting small businesses, indie bookstores, authors themselves. Uh, and it's a very, very cool thing. So check out bookshop.org. I actually have a little shop with all of my dad's books, my brother's books, and my books on it. Um, they let authors sort of send, set up, and you can recommend books you love, your own books. Um, and it's a really, you know, again, that's what I was talking about. Somebody who wanted independent bookstores not to go out of business and recognized that in order to do that, they had to help them sort of be on a par with Amazon, and that came out of necessity. So I look at things like that, and I think this is what we're all going to be learning how to do, create new economies, and I find that hopeful. Well, Victoria, it has been a real delight talking with you, and I appreciate you spending this uh, this time with me this morning. Um, and and hopefully thank it was. Thank you, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I was hoping it wasn't just because you didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> Not at all. No, I mean, are you kidding? Th- these practices—they're so simple, and they saved my life. I was a miserable workaholic who self-loathing was the daily—you know—my daily bread and butter. Self-loathing, and now. You know, am, am I perfect singing in the rain every single day? No, but I, it's so much better, and I have these practices that I know anyone can do. And it's, the practices really just help you realign with your original language, which is love, and that is a game changer. Well, Victoria, thanks so much, and uh, stay safe. Best of luck with uh, everything that you're doing, and uh, uh, in, enjoy your living love thank you so much and thanks again for having me on this show i really appreciate it take care that was uh vincent price's daughter victoria talking about her newest book living love 12 heart-centered practices to transform your transform your life and uh i'll be back to wrap up today's edition of the tom sumner program
dance all across the land. From the Tom Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Hope you enjoyed this special kind of tribute to Father's Day yesterday uh, with uh, the sons and daughters of some very well-known people, uh, Sergeant Shriver's son, Mark, Rod Serling's daughter, Anne, and Vincent Price's daughter, Victoria. Plus, we got a chance to talk with author... Kari Loya about his uh, trip across country with his dad. We'll be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.